Hey, Tracy. Jim, Good day. Hey. The day that we're recording this, I just want to do a shout out. It's your birthday. I'm a year older. <laughs> That's awesome. I can't believe you made time to do the podcast on your birthday. Well, you know, there are always interesting people that you bring into our discussions. And I'm really excited today because the guest you're, you're, you're bringing in I just kind of was doing some research and talking about middle and high school and creating like this safe space for kids. Right. Um, anyways, go ahead and enter. Who is this person? Her name is Dr. Shannon Wanless. She is um, in the School of Education at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, she, uh, what got me interested in her, she's done some work on psychological safety, which, you know, I've been trying to apply that in the educational setting because a lot of research has been done in the medical field and in the business field, not a whole lot in education, but she's done some work specifically on applying it there. So curious to hear what she has to suggest. I know. I'm so excited. So Dr. Wanless, and what I was triggered on, I hope she'll tell us more about was the attentional teaching practices and, and how that kind of applies, because you're right. I think, especially during tough times, right, that we've got to make sure that we're creating safe spaces for kids. So, all right, bring her in. Yeah, I will. I remember way back in the day, we talked to Beth Strathman about psychological safety. You remember that? Early on. Which, you know, really, actually, I think that was really the leap jumping off point where I really got interested in it. So, yeah, this is great. Excellent. Here we go. Here we go. Good morning, Dr. Wanless. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Thanks for being flexible at the time. I appreciate it. I've got a Little League baseball tournament this weekend. <laughs> that's important. No that's important. If nothing, if nothing else, we're flexible. So yeah. that's, that's good. <laughs> so we were just kind of doing an intro about you because uh, we already started recording, FYI. Um, so we did a little intro about you and uh, said that you were uh, out of the School of Education at the University of Pittsburgh. Yes. And um, I actually said that I got interested in your work because of some of the writing that you've done on psychological safety in education which um, I've been familiar with some of the work done in the medical field and um, the business world, but um, I really want to apply psychological safety to the world of education. I'm a principal, Tracy works at the State Office of Education. So anyway, maybe we could just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. My name is Shannon Wanless, as you said, and I have been a professor for almost a decade now at the University of Pittsburgh School of Education. I also direct a large center in the school called the Office of Child Development. Um, And that office has been around for over 30 years doing community engagement in Pittsburgh, but around the world, uh, focused on helping young children thrive and and really in partnership with the community rather than what we usually do in research, which is appear with a plan and ask people to do it. We uh, co-develop those plans. Nice. Nice. And I have to confess, so Tracy Van Adventure, so nice to meet you. I was excited because as I was sort of looking at some of your research, I'm especially curious about the attentional teaching practices and how that course is preparing. And from what I can tell, it has started as a middle and junior high focus, but now you're expanding it to early childhood. Is that fair? That is fair. Absolutely. I partnered with uh, Dr. Tanner Wallace, who's also at Pitt. 
And um, we had an opportunity to jump into the higher grades pre-service teaching. And so that's what we did, but early childhood is really my home. And so a few years later, we were able to expand into that program. And attentional teaching practices really mimic so much what you were just saying about psychological safety. How do we as teachers think about what we bring, our background, our identity, our baggage, our morning interactions that we had before we left home, how we bring that to all of our, our experiences with our students. And then they're bringing all of those things with them too. So these moments when we connect together, no matter what topic we're teaching, it comes with all of that. And so being able to consider how is that gonna influence what's being taken in right now or what should I do differently to help someone engage is really, a very complex process that some teachers do intuitively, but I think taking the time to name it and then really examine at least your part um, before you meet your students gives you a step ahead. And how did you come to this place where this was interesting or something that you wanted to dig into or be a part of? There's gotta be a story there. <laughs> Great interview question, <laughs> gotta be a story. Well, I'm sure it probably extends to my childhood, but I will say um, my first um, job outside of um, graduating college was as a Head Start teacher. And so I spent years as a Head Start, Head Start teacher. And the great thing about three and four-year-olds is they cannot fake their attention for you. <laughs> Maybe when you get into high school or university, right? They can kind of glaze over and look like they're attending. Three and four-year-olds don't do that. No. And so if they're not engaged and attending, you have to figure out what you're going to do differently or else you can't get to the, the academic and social emotional content. And so it wasn't long before I realized the first six weeks of the school year is really about connecting. Mm -hmm. And until they feel like this is a place that my mom would feel comfortable with me being in, my dad would feel comfortable walking in, I'm safe here, people care about me, I can be honest. Um, even if something happened on the school bus on the way there that day, that this is a place I can come to my teacher and talk about it. Yeah. Until that happens, your math lesson's getting nowhere. That was my experience. <laughs> so true. And, so and is I that love the definition. Is that how you would define psychological safety? Just that level of, you know, trust and being able to just be yourself no matter what else is going on so that you can, you can focus on the lesson. I mean, what, how would you define psychological safety for our listeners? It's a good question. And honestly, sometimes I avoid that term outside of academia and scholarly articles because it sounds like what it's saying is you have to feel safe all the time. And that's not possible or reasonable. And in fact, in recent years, I've really come to understand from my colleagues of color that that assumption that you have to feel safe to learn really violates a lot of their experience in school. Many of them have been resilient and managed you know, to learn and grow and develop without ever feeling like they were truly safe in their classrooms. So really with psychological safety, the goal is not to be safe and happy and nice and comfortable all the time. It's to get yourself, get to know yourself well enough so that if you are not feeling safe, you can recognize that, have a plan and know that people in this space are there to welcome you in that space, in that unsafe part of yourself just as much as the safe one. Who you are is welcome here, the honest, real, full version of you all the time. 
Oh, wow. That's awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier about, you know, four and five-year-olds can't really fake it, right? <laughs> but behind that statement actually is really a sad um, suggestion. And I saw it myself when I was in secondary schools that we do have schools where kids are faking it. You know, where they're coming, they're kind of stone faced or maybe they're being, you know, just kind of depressed because it's an internal Mm -hmm. turning in of those emotional factors or those pieces. Right. So I'm kind of curious. Well, first, I had an image. I have to tell you that I wish we had like, you know, those mood rings we used to be able to buy and it would tell you how you're feeling. I wish we had headbands maybe that were like mood rings for secondary kids so that we could kind of get past some of that hiding and and have a better sense. But the truth is, if we get to a space where kids are able to be authentically themselves, hopefully they sort of let go of that of that of that hiding and of that veneer that is uh, protecting them. And and I'm curious if you've during this time when you're looking at the attentional teaching practices, do you do you have suggestions for our listeners? What are little things that we can do, especially as kids get older, that can that can help them feel like they can let that that curtain down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they're really, you know, two parts of the equation when people are coming together and interacting. So you have to ask yourself as the adult in this space, what is your responsibility here? What can you do to make it more likely that someone would feel comfortable to be their true selves? And so that's, that's welcoming, um, diversity saying no matter who you are, no matter what you're speaking about, no matter what kind of um, wisdom and experiences and background you're bringing to the table, I see that and I want to hear more of it. So setting the stage of no matter what you've got, it's valuable here. And that that is making lots of examples before anyone even brings anything up. How am I bringing examples of oral storytelling into the classroom? How am I showing, you know, um, wisdom from Native American communities where I'm living? When I show lots of non-typical classroom examples, I'm communicating no matter what you've got for me, even, even though I'm not sure where you're coming from, I'm the kind of person who cares about and welcomes diverse ideas. Mm-hmm. And then I think also as the adult, there's a real need to get better at perspective taking. You can never really know what everyone else is thinking, but we can get better at it than we are right now. So asking ourselves, when, when I'm looking at a class, especially on Zoom last year, when I'm looking at my undergraduate students and they're silent, How do I know what that silence means? Sometimes that is deep thinking and I should stay silent myself and let that space be full. And sometimes it's total disengagement. Sometimes there's an elephant in the room, right? Some harm has been done and I'm not stepping up to the plate to see it and call it out. You know, so silence to me is just one very rich example of perspective taking that it would be great if everyone spoke up and said the reason I'm being silent right now yeah (laughs) but but everybody doesn't do that right so part of the onus and I would say more than half of the onus is on the adult to wonder and be curious I noticed the room is silent what's going on right now yeah so um that's what I was going to ask too is it just a matter of of 
clarifying. So I, I've been trying to ask my students every single day, um, you know, how are you feeling today? And do like a morning check-in where they like identify an emotion from a mood meter. And sometimes I look at the results of that. Like I gather that, I look at that every single day and I don't exactly know what to do with it. So it's like, okay, well, you know, this student is identifying in the blue quadrant down here and I'm not exactly sure how to respond to that. So do you have any advice for what educators can do if they, if they ask and they get a response and then they don't know how to handle that response? I think when in doubt, always my best answer is to throw it back to the community. The, the, whether you're working with adults, whether you're working with children saying, I hear this and I'm not sure what we should do. I notice, now this is really typical experience for me during the pandemic. I notice half the people here want more social engagement and want to spend more time talking to the, each other. And the other half are hoping we'll get through the content faster because they're so stressed and have so many other responsibilities. How as a community should we deal with this? Are people hearing this? Is this what you're feeling? Let's figure it out. Because it's rarely about knowing the answer. It's more about the transparency of, I see this, I'm going to name it, and I trust us as a community to come up with the solution for the moment, and we can revisit it if that solution didn't work out so well. I love that. I had a question about this, and this isn't for many readings or anything. This is my own musings. Mm -hmm. So as I'm thinking back on my time as a, as a supervisor for educators, and I'm afraid to even say it out loud because I think it's going to come across maybe as like blaming the victim, so to speak. And I don't want that. But as I was thinking about teachers I know who have struggled, you know, to create a space that, that might be more welcoming or more open, they themselves have not been feeling safe or emotionally like set. They may have some of their own struggles, right, with their own emotional regulation or their own, uh, you know, maybe with depression or other kind of mental health issues. And so in a way, I don't really necessarily want to say, oh, it's just the teacher's fault because they're kind of, you know, crazy or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I, but I do see that there's a correlation with when we're talking about school as a system that we ourselves as the adults have to kind of take care of our own, like, space. Does that make sense? So I'm curious about, does, does that come up? Are there conversations around that uh, when you're talking with your students or your colleagues about even just that teacher self-care that has to happen in order so we're more present to help others? What are your thoughts? Absolutely. And I mean, what a year to be talking about that, right? Absolutely. You know, I think there's the difference between today is not going well, or something happened in my life. Uh, a friend of mine was just talking about, she's a teacher telling her students that her grandmother had just passed away. You know, to me, that is honesty and then coming up with a plan for compassion and seeking compassion from your students. But then there's the different kind of self-care. There's sort of the ongoing stressors yeah. that is, is so it's cumulative, it's bigger, it burns you out very quickly. And, you know, I think that is the parallel of how students can start to feel if they're not in a space where they feel like they're belonging, then the, the adults feel the same way. Mm -hmm. So to me, in an ideal world, every, every school out there would have a place where the adults had their own community of practice, almost like their own classroom where they're the students together, they come together and there's some 
really interesting examples around the country, around the world, uh, Reggio Emilia preschools uh, in Italy, that has been such a core thing um, of their instructional technique is to come together as adults and get their own needs met. They should feel their sense of belonging there, you know, and, and also when they're with other teachers who are trying to figure out how to create these spaces in their classroom, they'll hear from other perspectives. Everyone doesn't feel a sense of belonging in the same space. Mm -hmm. In fact, just a quick side note, but I have to say one of the most eye-opening things I ever did in my class at Pitt was show undergrad pre-service teachers videos that I found on the internet of teachers interacting with students. And we were going to talk about which rooms felt like a place they'd want to be a classroom in. Where do you feel safe? Where do you feel cared for? Where do you feel like this is a place you could learn? And I thought for sure I had some that were the yeses and some that were the noes people really had very, very, very different opinions about these videos. And to me, that was such an aha that it's not all about coming up with a package for this is how to create a psychologically safe space for kids or adults. It's being in constant conversation with ourselves and with them of how is this feeling now? What should we do differently? How did this work today? It's really reading the room, and I guess to circle back to your question, uh, question as adults, you know, where are we finding those spaces where we can see other ways of creating community mm -hmm. rather than just our own way as the teacher who's always in charge of the space? Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking about the the role the leader takes in that as well, right? You know, so. Um, coming up to a teacher that you sense maybe isn't having their best day and connecting with them and tell us what's going on and maybe even just staying in the room for a minute so that that teacher can take a walk around the block or regather or something like that, that is kind of a, it's kind of a multi-layer. I mean, even when you start looking at the district, there are times when I've been in districts and the districts have made decisions that have made me as a leader of a school feel like I have to look over my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And and that in itself, potentially, I don't know, but potentially had a ripple effect across all of those people I were, you know, I were, was working with. And um, it just makes me wonder, right? What do we as a system? And, and I know this gets so much bigger than just the little things that make a big difference, but I'm trying to find myself in all these different places and what the role was for myself as an adult. And how did I inadvertently maybe even hinder the process. Mm -hmm. You know, systems feel so complicated and what could I possibly do? It's the system, but systems are made up of us, right? So I guess I'm kind of wondering every day as someone who runs a center that's part of a large university system, you know, how am I centering humanity in this space? What, yeah. what things are getting in the way of us being more human and in this space? And is there something that I could do to disrupt that? And sometimes the answer is no, but um, it's surprising how often my immediate answer is no, I can't fix that. That's a large university mm -hmm. thing beyond my pay grade. But then you just be willing to stay with that for a little while and wonder, well, if I could do something, what would be the one thing I could do? And it, you know, Often you can't completely change a system, but you can change people's experience of the system. Mm, that's so powerful. And I, you know, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder, 
I wonder how we can change, fundamentally change the way that school is structured, education is structured to allow for this, because it seems like you need space and time and just room to be able to reflect and to have conversations with people and kids that, you know, I think the way school is designed, it's about move, move, move. We got to go, go, go. We've got a lot to do. And, you know, and, um, you know, I just, I just wonder, it doesn't give permission for us to have that kind of time and space to really reflect and converse and, you know, just, uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Do we have to change school completely in order to be able to achieve this? (laughs) Ideally, yes. I think that um, the question is, is it ever going to change? If we're all sitting here and waiting for there to be more time to be more human together, it's not coming. It's probably not coming. And so asking ourselves, what are our values in the system? This is something in our attentional teaching practices that is a thread throughout the whole course is what are our values that because every single decision we make in our classroom, in our school, in our university reflects our values, even if we don't articulate them, it's reflecting a value Mm -hmm. and that go, 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 produce, produce, produce. I mean, that's a value of capitalism, right? How fast can we go and how much can we create and how many, you know, checks off the box can we make? And why do we do that? I mean, what, what is that? What goal is that achieving? As far as I can see, that is not an obvious successful path to helping children and adults thrive. I've never seen anything that suggests that going faster and doing more things and creating more products is the path to thriving in life or to learning uh, for that matter. So the question is why do we do that? And what's within our sphere of influence as a leader of a school to say, here are my values, connecting as humans, seeing each other, valuing who we are and what we bring to the table. And how could that come up in my staff meeting? How could that come up in the hallway? How could that come up at lunch in parent-teacher conferences? It could be everywhere. Mm -hmm. What recommendations do you have as uh, schools return back to whatever normal with air quotes is, right? (laughs) Like, I don't know if we'll ever find that space that we had that was pre-pandemic, right? But as you're thinking about for, for our state, uh, we've been back mostly in class the whole time with other ways that we've been distancing and, you know, vaccinating and protocols and things like that. But I don't think that that's been true across the nation. And as I'm thinking about those schools that have just most recently been returning back to the classroom, they're only going to have this tiny little window of time in front of kids before the summer comes, and then we got to jump back into it. And, and so all those different like variations of, of returning and connecting with students, I'm curious what you think are maybe pieces of advice for us as we, because in a way it's kind of like that, that moment is ripe for something different, mm-hmm. right? So what advice would you maybe have for us on taking advantage of this moment in time? This moment does feel so important. There, I, I find myself having to step back and think, what are the immediate things that we can we can do, and what are the long term goals? Because I realize I want racial equity. I want a focus on activism and justice. I want to focus on health and reaching out to families. And okay, these are big. So 
start small and build up. But if I only had a few weeks until the school year um, ended or at the beginning of next school year, I think the one thing I would center on is true honesty with students that it we don't just open the door and walk back in. A lot has happened. And my biggest fear, and this is at work too, that I will just walk in and say, yep, staff meeting on Monday and everybody bring your agenda and this and that, and don't forget to submit your time card. It's so, it is the default. There is this gravitational pull back to that. And in reality, we've been through a lot. And so if we truly are saying, as we said earlier, that we everybody's experience is welcome, we want to be honest and open and care for each other, that starts by saying not just, how are you doing? Good to see you. But taking a step back and saying, how are you really doing? Yeah. Uh, and in my office, one thing we've been thinking a lot about working with families is how to tell your story of the last year. Mm. And, and how to make space for the good things and the bad things. Mm-hmm. I think we could go the polite route and write a really happy, you know, well, I was able to take time to learn to make bread <laughs> or, you know, just to kind of get through the conversation in a comfortable way. Or we could say, you know, this was incredibly stressful. My mental health, my ability to sleep, everything was challenged. But in reality, I would say for almost everyone, it's probably a mix of the two. Yeah. So how do we ask the questions of each other? Where were the moments where you were able to find a way to thrive and find some joy? And where were the moments that were so challenging for you? And I want to be here to hear about those too. Are you a Zen master? Also, (laughs) It kind of seems like you might be. (laughs) It does sound like a lovely way to be a preschool teacher though. Can't picture them all. <laughs> I'm feeling really inspired. I don't know about Tracy. Yeah. Um, so uh, we always ask this last question of all of our podcast guests, uh, just as a, a way to kind of, you know, I don't know, just mm-hmm. get you thinking. So our question is always, uh, what, if you could go back and talk to a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give? If you could travel back in a time machine and, you know, visit a younger Shannon Wanless, what would you say to that person as far as advice is concerned? I would say that every step along the way, even if you don't see it moving forward, you definitely see it backward, leads you to where you are and what you're meant to contribute to the field. And so even those classrooms I can remember in middle school where I didn't feel psychological safety or the struggles in the first year of teaching Head Start of what is this feeling I'm trying to create with my students. All of that at the time I think feels like failure. It feels like struggle, but I had to grapple with all of that to be able to come out on the other side and say, this isn't just something I'm struggling with. This matters for learning. And, and so until you've really felt the moment something's not there, you can't realize how critical it is. So appreciate every lesson, I think, in all of the steps, even if they don't feel like big wins. Nice. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. This has been a really, really enlightening conversation. And 
Um, I think you've really added a new perspective of psychological safety because I think in my head I was thinking like how do we create a safe space for everyone and it's well that probably is not possible but we have to have a space where we can own that acknowledge it and get it out I thank you so much it's been so so great we know everyone's busy so thank you for sharing your time with us absolutely thank you so much have a great day enjoy little league Thank you. (laughs) It is the rest of the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.